Section 38 of Flowers of Free Thought, First Series. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Noel Vox. Flowers of Free Thought by George William Foote. Section 38. Victor Hugo. May 31, 1885. Two years and a half ago, France was mourning the death of Gambetta. Every hostile voice was hushed, and the whole nation bent tearfully over the bier, where a once mighty heart and fervent brain lay cold and still in death. Never, perhaps since Mirabeau burned out the last of his great life, had Paris been so profoundly moved. Gambetta was carried to his grave by a million of men, and in all that tremendous procession no priest figured, nor in all the funeral ceremony was there a word of God. For the first time in history a nation buried her hero without a shred of religious rites or a whisper of any other immortality than the immortality of fame. France now mourns the death of Victor Hugo, the great poet of the Republic, as Gambetta was its great orator and statesman. These two, in their several ways, did the most to demolish the empire. Gambetta organized and led the Republic in opposition, and when the Deschamps came, he played deep for the Republic in the game of life and death, making the restoration of the Empire an impossibility. But long before the young orator challenged the Empire, it was arraigned before the bar of liberty and humanity by the great poet. From his lonely channel rock, in the bitter grandeur of exile, Victor Hugo hurled the lightnings and thunders of the denunciation of the political burglar of France and his parasitical minions. Practical people laughed at him, not knowing that he was more practical than they. They saw nothing but the petty present, and judged everything by its immediate success. He was nourished by sovereign principles, rooted in the depths of the human heart, and blossoming in its loftiest aspirations. He was a prophet who chanted his own inspiration to the world, knowing that few would listen at first, but assured that the message would kindle some hearts, and that the living flame would leap from breast to breast, till all were wrapped in its divine blaze. He scorned the base successful lie, and reverenced the noble outcast truth and he had unfaltering faith in the response which mankind would ultimately make to the voice of their rightful lord. Great he was as a poet, a romancer, and a dramatist, but he was greatest as a prophet. He lived to see his message justified, and his principles triumphant, and died at the ripe old age of eighty-three, amid the love and reverence of the civilized world. We are not blind to his failings. He had, as the French say, the defects of his qualities, but they do not obscure his glory. His failings were those of other men, his greatness was his own. Victor Hugo, like Gambetta, was a free thinker. We know he professed a belief in God, but he had no theology. His God was nature, suffused with passion and ideality. In his conviction of, quote, some far-off divine event to which the whole creation moves, end quote, was only his faith in progress, extended into the remotest future. He was a true free thinker in his grand assertion of the majesty of reason and conscience. He appealed to the native dignity of the individual, and hated priestcraft with a perfect hatred. Lacking humor himself, and brilliant without wit, he could recognize these qualities in others, and he thought them as valid as his own weapons against the dogmas of superstition. How fine was his great word about Voltaire, quote, irony incarnate for the salvation of mankind, end quote. Like Gambetta, Victor Hugo is to be buried without religious rites, according to his will, no priest is to profane the sanctity of death by mumbling idle words over his grave concerning what he is as ignorant of as the corpse at his feet. In death, as in life, the free thinker would confront the universe alone from the impregnable rock of his manhood, convinced that, quote, there is no danger to a man that knows what life and death is. There is not any law exceeds his knowledge, neither is it lawful that he should stoop to any other law, end quote. 
Not only did Victor Hugo will that no priest should officiate at his burial, he ordered that none should approach his bed, but the carrion crows of the death chamber were not to be deterred by his well-known wishes. The Archbishop of Paris offered to visit the dying heretic and administer to him the supreme unction on behalf of the church. Monsieur Lacroix, the poet's son-in-law, politely declined the offer. Our newspapers, especially the orthodox ones, regard the Archbishop's message as a compliment. In our opinion, it was a brazen insult. Suppose Mr. Bradlaugh wrote to say that he would gladly attend the sick bed of Canon Wilberforce for the purpose of receiving his confession of atheism. Would the Orthodox regard it as a compliment or an insult? We fail to see any difference in the two cases, and we know why impertinence in an atheist becomes civility in a Christian. Fortunately, Victor Hugo's death chamber was not intruded upon by impudent priests. His relatives respected his convictions the more as they were freethinkers themselves. No priest will consecrate his grave but it will be hallowed by his greatness. And what pilgrim, as he bends over the master's tomb, will hear in the breeze, or see in the grass and flowers, any sign that a priest's benison is wanting to his repose? End of section 38. Recording by Noel Vox.